I'm ready. Let's do it. Welcome one and all to episode 248 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor. And for this episode, we have a great interview with Ron Scalzo and Chris Penny of the band Return to Earth. Ron reached out to me. I haven't talked to him in nine years, we determined. And he reached out to me through social media out of the blues saying, hey, you great to see that you're still around. Do you want to interview us? And I'm like, yeah, of course I would. He's always been great to me. Uh, even though we haven't spoken in a long time, anytime that we have talked in the past, it's always been nothing but good. So why turn it down? And to top it off, he sent me their EP, or he sent me links to be able to listen to it. And he also sent me some other cool stuff, which we'll talk about during the interview. I don't want to give too much away here. I want to save it for that. The interview is very long. Uh, it is one of the longest interviews I've ever conducted. I know that there are people that will say, oh, you know, you should edit all this down or you should do this or you should do that. Look, there's a lot of cool stuff that we talk about. I realize that most people will not be able to listen to this in one sitting. I could have, I could have made two episodes, but I decided to just keep it as one to make it just sound natural. You know, um, people just look for too much perfection sometimes. And I think that with this interview, it's just three people just talking about music. And I think that it comes off really well. And, and I hope that you guys enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed listening back to it. I did want to get this out sooner, but due to different things going on outside of podcasting, I wasn't able to do that. And then I knew that I was going to have to do some edits because there was, there was some echoing going on while, um, while we recorded. So if you listen to the video version or watch the video version, you're going to hear a little more sound in the background. Um, if I have time, I may clean that up on YouTube or it may just stay as is. This is, I've gone out of my way to clean up all the spots where my voice echoed or any of uh, Chris or Ron's voice echoed as well. So, I mean, I do think that it sounds pretty decent as is. So there you go. Um, we will have another episode out in the next few days, which will be the curse of Yarg. Be the return of Brad Dahl from Yarg Metal. For those that have never gotten to listen to any of my episodes with Brad, there are plenty from the last year. He's usually on the show at least once a month. And outside of being real fun to talk to, a great bass player, good singer, he works poison control and always shares some interesting stories. So be on the lookout for that. And if you want to go back and go to MarsAttacksRadio.com and just put in the word YARG, Y-A-R-G, you'll be able to pull up all the fun conversations we've had in the past. So 
want some laughs with your music or with your music discussion, I should say. You get that there. If you want to hear me talking about music, you can find the new Mars Attacks radio show up on Anchor and on Spotify. The reason that they're only there is because those are the only platforms where I can include licensed music. If you are a Spotify subscriber, you'll hear the songs in their entirety. If you're just using a free Spotify account, you'll only hear a 30-second sound sample. So there you go. It's the only way that I can legally include music. There are a lot of people that got kicked off of Spotify last year because of this, and some of the other platforms were very close to following suit. Nothing else has come of it yet. I don't want to chance anything. I want to continue to be able to put interviews out there and if nothing else, you know, share all the other things that I'm currently doing. So if you want to hear, there's two episodes up right now of Mars Attacks Radio. Just search for that on Anchor or on Spotify, or you can just go to MarsAttacksRadio.com, click on the subscribe tab at the top and scroll down to the subscribe page and you'll find links to Spotify and Anchor and you can subscribe or just listen first before you decide to do so. So many times that I get gung-ho, hear someone on another show, subscribe to their show and I listen to them and it's like, oh, they were cool on this show because it was a small dosage and because they fixed their sound. There's so much stuff from people that are quote-unquote known commodities where their mics are just shit (laughs) and you think how how could they be doing this? But anyway, there's that. There is Fireside, which I do every Friday, right before I do the Signals from Mars live stream. And uh, Fireside is a platform where you have to you have to be like a vampire. You have to be invited in. <laughs> but once you're in, it's a troll-free environment. Uh, they vet everyone to make sure that everyone is cool. And then after that, the cool thing about this social audio platform is that while I'm doing the show, I usually talk about new releases or hard rock and metal news. Uh, I can call people up onto the stage to talk with me. So if I get a big enough audience, I've already talked to a few publicists who've mentioned that they will allow their guests to come on here and we'll work the logistics out. And so that way you guys can come up and talk to them directly and ask your questions. Uh, There's also the Signals from Mars live stream, which I just mentioned, which is where today's interview originally came from. That takes place at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. in the UK, or midnight Friday into Saturday if you're in Europe like I am, or 8 a.m. Melbourne, Australia. (laughs) You can listen to the show, or you could watch live. You can participate. You can listen as well. You can listen via Mixcloud. You can watch on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, and a bunch of other platforms. It's 14 platforms in all. Again, you can go to that subscribe tab and check out different places where you can watch the episode and participate. Also, want to remind you that Trivia Tuesday is a fun, (laughs) it's fun. It's a fun hang. It's a half hour show where I talk things up for about 
15 minutes, wait for everyone to kind of settle in. And then it's 15 minutes of questions. It's 10 questions. And yesterday we had a pretty spirited contest. <laughs> it was won by Chris Sinzak of Decibel Geek Podcast. Uh, he enjoyed it and everyone else that was involved seemed to enjoy it. And that's exclusively on Twitch. Again, there are links to Twitch on MarsAttacksRadio.com. And that's at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. in the U.K., and 11 p.m. in Europe on Tuesdays, Trivia Tuesday on Twitch. Real quickly, I want to send a shout-out to all of my patrons before I jump on into the interview. Uh, I want to say hello to Johan in Sweden, Metal Dan, Jerry from Long Island, Jose in Connecticut, Chris Vaglio from the Chris and Amanda Show, Gabriel Ruiz, Mark Striegel from Talking Metal, Brad Dahl from Yarg Metal, our Mike Jones, Jeremy Weltman in the UK, who will be back with Patrons Pick probably for the next episode, and Twisted Steve Hoker. Just remember that we do have a Patreon-exclusive live show coming up on the 26th. Tentatively, we'll be talking about Scorpions. If you want in on the conversation and be a part of the episode, two bucks a month gets you in. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Mars Attacks podcast and you'll get a chance to chat with the rest of us. So thank you for deciding to listen to the show. I appreciate it immensely. I will leave you now with the interview. Hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think. Enjoy. And see you next time, right here on Mars Attacks Podcast. Welcome, one and all, to the Friday, October 29th edition of the Signals from Mars live stream. Brought to you by the Mars Attacks Podcast and by VMR IT Web Design and Audio Editing. Our guest... Tonight, joining us, at least initially, is Mr. Ron Scalzo of Return to Earth. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. Awesome. I uh, want to say hello to Rob Rowe there in the chat so far. See if anyone else pops on in and, and asks some uh, questions along the way. Um, we are awaiting Mr. Chris Penny and maybe a surprise another surprise as well. We'll see. Don't want to, uh, we'll, we'll keep our expectations low. So that way, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, it's been a real long time since we last talked. Uh, yeah, time flies when you're having fun. Absolutely. I mean, you've been from New York to Washington, I believe, to Nashville now. Is that correct? You're stalking me? Yeah, that's pretty much, that's the timeline, right? Well, see, I'm not someone that likes to reach out and bug people, you know, unless there's something, you know, I can get very like Larry David-ish and get uh, very anal about things. I'm like, all right, I won't say anything. But then it's in me. It starts to like build up like, all right, I have to say something. But, um, you know, usually I see um, I, I if I have people friended on social media, then then I see, you know, different things and. I remember that you had gone 
from the show in New York to NPR. Is that correct? That is my uh, day job. Yes. I'm a producer for NPR and I have been since I moved out of New York to uh, Washington, D.C. And I still am, even though I don't live in Washington, D.C. Cool. And Nashville seems to be a place where uh, a lot of people love, love living now. <laughs> a lot of people from New York and L.A. are coming here because it's, uh, it offers those sort of comforts in different ways, uh, especially bohemian types, as you can imagine. So um, I've been trying it on. It's, uh, it's not permanent, but what the hell is nowadays? So. Right. Well, I, I said almost 18 years ago that moving to Spain wasn't permanent, and here I am. So. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that. Yeah, I'm not saying that I'm out of here tomorrow, but uh, that's good. Yeah. I'll I'll, uh, I'll use that as as a template for my for my next move. Maybe I'll move to Spain. <laughs> Wait, we have. All right. We have Mr. Chris Penny joining us. How are you, sir? All right. How you doing? Doing good. Good. Sorry about that. I my uh, you know, my Mac there, his Safari wasn't uh, supporting. Uh, Safari was your first mistake. Yeah. So then I went on the Firefox. So I'm all good now. All right. Oh uh, yeah. Sorry. Safari for some reason gives people that are using this platform a hard time. I don't know why. You'd think that they'd have the the kinks worked out based on how many Mac users are using it, but. It's ridiculous. Can I ask? It's a good segue. Can I ask how you graduated to this uh, this platform over here? It's pretty high tech. Um, I tried OBS for a while, which is what a lot of people use for Twitch, for example, because it's highly customizable and you can do a, a lot of cool stuff with it. But at the end of the day, I just didn't have the time to sit there and set it up. And uh, I interviewed somebody almost a year ago and on the fly I was like I, I can't do this I, I can't handle you know making sure that they're centered correctly I can't you know uh, make sure that the audio is right all these different things where I knew other people were trying different platforms and, and restream which is what I used uh, just for economic reasons and the fact that um, you know, I can stream out on a bunch of different platforms at the same time, and it's fairly easy to use is the reason why I went with it. I tried Zoom, and Zoom has given me nothing but nightmares. <laughs> I've had, like, r really cool interviews and just lost the video altogether. Luckily, because I'm running a backup where it's recording the audio, I had the audio. But if not, I mean, I would have lost inter two interviews specifically that I did through Zoom. Um, and there are other competitors to this, which are, which are somewhat similar, but, um, you know, each one has its kind of cool things with, with what's neat with this now. And I had somebody do it the other day is if you, if the person you're interviewing also uses this platform, you can connect all of, all of your social medias together. So when it goes out live, it goes out on all of I'm currently broadcasting on 14 platforms and that person was going out like on an additional six platforms on their end. So it combines both and broadcasts on both at the same time. So that's kind of cool. So like multiple stop shopping. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, congratulations on, on your upgrade. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> so anyway, 
Let's talk about music since we've talked about almost everything else. <laughs> um, we're obviously, hopefully, knock on wood on the tail end of this pandemic, but what I've found to be like a silver lining for a lot of uh, different bands is that the pandemic has provided them time that maybe they wouldn't have had previously to not only compose some of their best material, but sonically make sure that their albums are among the best that they've recorded. I've heard a bunch of things that you guys have sent my way. And I wanted to ask you this because I wanted to see if you guys felt that return to earth kind of fit that kind of bill as well. Right. I mean, does that, does that apply to us? You think the fact that we, uh, I think there was kind of a kind of a template for this band to kind of do things the way that a lot of bands were forced to do and a lot of artists were forced to do during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I mean, we did when we made Automata, we did get together more because geographically it made sense. And I recorded all my vocals in a, in a professional studio. We recorded the drums in a professional studio. Um, we obviously couldn't do those things this time around, or we didn't even attempt to. But I think that's kind of testimony to the kind of DIY spirit of the band and how much progress kind of Chris has made as a producer and an engineer and a mixer. The fact that I wasn't in a studio, I was in a basement in Silver Spring, Maryland, and uh, a third bedroom in Nashville, Tennessee, screaming and singing these vocals. And, right. Um, the fact that Chris was able to do something with that stuff and really almost catered the sound of the band to the limitations that we had. Um, yeah. That worked well for me. I mean, I'm happy with the results. How about you, Chris? <laughs> I think, um, I think the pandemic really kind of forced that situation to kind of happen more. And that was already happening. It's really already happening for the band 10 years ago. Um, and I think even as far as I know that, you know, what Brett and I wanted to do, you know, Brett, the guitarist, um, we wanted to kind of get away from the whole situation of going to people and, you know, having producers and engineers and that whole, you know, crop of people that you would just go to and you would have your record made. And I mean, you know, we've all kind of been in certain circles of the music industry long enough to kind of say, why don't we just try our hand at it? Because at this point, um, and I'm not saying that, you know, that the, those people, the, the great producers and engineers and, you know, um, not to bypass them because, you know, we've all learned a, a ton from them. Those are people who are specialists at what they do. They're great. You know, they make great records. They, they get paid to make great records. Uh, that should never be lost. But at the same time, I think it's really good to kind of try your hand and just throw yourself to the fire and see what happens. And, and that was really what the band's about. You know, Return to Earth is really about we all kind of got together outside of the other things we had that were immediately on the table 
and we made the band and we made you know all three records by ourselves and recorded them mostly by ourselves produced them by ourselves and those were tremendous learning experiences that were coupled with the other things that we had learned in the past and we were able to apply them you know and 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 i think um the things that we had practiced along the way and developed along the way, uh, I think a lot of people are doing that now, you know, and, you know, outside of just what we created as a, as a band, the three of us, we have all done commercial work and movie work and stuff like that. And because the technology is available, you can do that. And mm -hmm. now, you know, with the pandemic, that, had to happen and i and i have right. to be honest like i i think like not much has really changed in, in my life because i do a lot of my work basically from home anyway and um right. you know some people that i talk to who are engineers and doing their work from home as well you know we pass around little pictures on our phones of a split screen of two of the same pictures that just says engineer you know pre-pandemic engineer like you know right in the middle of the pandemic it's the same thing nothing right you know and so um i think we've all learned a lot and i think especially in the past 10 years we've we definitely learned a whole lot to kind of really understand and be able to kind of process the whole thing from beginning to end and and i think at this point with the new record that we just did um it was an exercise in that you know and that's kind of how it's always been with with us with return to earth you know so right right yeah and i'm very happy with how everything came out i think you know the whole situation uh going into this was that it was a cathartic thing we all wanted to you know kind of do before you know things really took shape but I wanted to try more of my hand at a, a mixing and, and mastering thing rather than just like the guy that just plays drums and comes in or, you know, just play drums on it. Like I, I didn't want to like have that role, you know, right. in what I was doing. And so uh, for me personally, I, I'm really, I'm really satisfied and I'm really proud of how this came out for that reason, different reason, you know, and, and that's a fine balance. There's um, th there are people that are bands that can't kind of produce their own stuff because they don't know when to, you know, rein things back. Yeah. Um, and you know, there I can talk about hundreds of releases that I've heard over the years where it's like, ah, had they've just gotten a producer to tell them no, you shouldn't do this, you know, or that song's too long or this part's redundant or no, you did that already 10 years ago. Why are you, you know, that kind of a thing. But then right. I, I get what you're saying, you know, with all of the experience that you've accumulated all these years, at least wanting to get a chance to do it and see if you can do it with your material to make sure that, because I mean, what I've heard sounds nothing like what you've done in the past sonically and just the way that it's structured you know it's 
it's funny because um, when when Ron sent me the files, he said something to the extent of uh, "buckle in." Yeah, <laughs> I believe it's a ride. that's what the statement was. It's definitely a ride. Uh, I think that's yeah. the coolest thing about the record is like, um, you know, uh, the the songs pretty wide ranging. And I think the band's always kind of been about that, but, you know, I, I think even further on this and, and I think that's, you know, I mean, we're all a little bit older now and it's not even just about, Hey, let's, you know, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, it's, you know, it's not just about, um, I don't know that, you know, like wearing your influences on the sleeve at, at at this point, because we're not, you know, in our late twenties, early thirties, like making like an experimental record. Like we've already like done that stuff, made like the ambitious stuff. And now it's just like, you know, yeah, let's just, let's just make something. Let's just try this. or let's just try that. We don't have like, you know, like a core audience or a thing, you know, that we're like catering to labels to cater to. It's not about that. It's just like, let's just make a cool record, you know? And, and, and for me personally, I can, I'm speaking on behalf of myself, but I think the past 10 years since like leaving the whole, I don't know, whatever you want to say scene to kind of go pursue and do other things that are, that have, you know, exist outside of that. There's a whole world of that. And, you know, I've learned a ton. I think we all have learned a ton. And, and I think we have better served, you know, ourselves exploring and, and really um, indulging in that. And, and that's what I think the record really showcases. Right. Yeah. Do you're, you're a fan. I mean, like, do you really think you've heard the older records? Do you think stylistically this is really that much different than what you've heard before? Um, I, I, well, first of all, you've got, (laughs) no, there's, well, there's two different pieces of music, obviously the big ideas is what you guys just released, um, which is on the streaming platforms. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know how to segue into this without fumbling over things, but, um, uh, there's potentially something that's coming after this, um, early next year. Now. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> what I'll say is, to me, I mean, both pieces sound completely different to one another, and they, they sound completely different to, um, to Automata as well. Um, there's definitely a progression there, and if I were to listen to them without knowing when they were recorded, I would say that Big Ideas was recorded a year or two before Oblivion was recorded because one kind of sounds nothing like the other. Like, well, it was one of the things when you sent me, when you mentioned it to me, I was like, oh, okay. You know, the usual thing is, oh, there's an EP. There's going to be two or three songs, which will end up maybe on the album. And the first thing I looked at, I'm like, wait, none of the tracks appear on both i'm like okay so i listened to the ep and then i listened to um to oblivion and the first thing that i that i 
that I heard with oblivion to me um, was more of what has drawn me in these last few years with Gary Newman's work and what's drawn me in with certain eras of Nine Inch Nails and stuff like that. There are certain songs where I'm like, oh, my God, this, you know, this sounds like um, trying to think three albums ago for Gary Newman. Like there are specific songs off of that that really stick out to me. Um, uh, Here in the Black, I think, is that, well, that's the lead single off of that. But there are songs that kind of feel like some of the stuff off of here. And it was an instant, like, goosebump reaction. I'm like, holy crap, this is good. And as Chris pointed out, no two songs sound alike. Nothing on the EP sounds like anything else on the EP, and nothing on the full length sounds anything like the EP or anything that you guys have done previous. Obviously, Ron, your, your singing style is there because there's that angst, there's that desperation, there's that there are different elements to your vocals that are still there, but even still, the way that they're that they've been worked, it sounds different. It sounds again when I said that bands are lifting things sonically to another level. I really think that you guys have done that with with these uh, with all the compositions that make up the EP and the album. So, and I'm not saying that just to blow smoke up your ass or anything. I I no, bring it on, baby. Come on, <laughs> blow, baby. I, I I mean what you're describing is a terrible marketing strategy, but uh, yeah, but that's kind of that's kind of what um, this band is. I don't know if we've been all about that, but I think we've just been uncompromising. And from my perspective, I mean, the way that these songs are kind of presented to me as a vocalist are just you know Chris and oftentimes Chris and Brett just masterminding these different hodgepodges of musical styles that I just love putting my little brush stroke over, whether it's singing or screaming or making some sort of weird noise with my voice. Um, and I think we, I think Chris will agree that, you know, we didn't, um, we didn't dismiss any of these songs because they sounded different from anything else or from anything that was on, Automata. I mean, if you've heard Automata and you've heard our first album, Captains of Industry, I mean, you could argue that those two albums are not from the same band. And right. I don't think we're afraid to shy away from that. We just like making music that gets us jazzed. I mean, and I like yep. adding my little pastiche to the music that these guys come up with. That's always been the formula. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's that's kind of a lost art. I, I I've been saying that over and over again these last few years. You know, there's just so many bands focus on writing that one big song for their album, and then you get version B, version C, version D, and it's like just release an EP or a single at that point. You know, just give me something good. It, it's 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 kind it's kind of weird. I I keep bringing this up with people um i th it was 10 years ago i tried to put something together for um for someone that i'd actually dated who was who was dying at the time and i wanted to uh to donate something in the name of the illness that she had and i approached musicians that i had interviewed locally and i said look you know i have these ideas would you guys help me 
make these songs better because I'm not a guitarist, because I'm not a singer, so on and so forth. I can drum on them, but don't look for me to play any of the other stuff. And the first thing they said, oh, these songs, none of them sound alike. I'm like, so what's the problem? Well, no, they all have to sound like it's, you know, this song sounds like um, uh, like Rage Against the Machine influence. This other one sounds like the Misfits. This other one sounds like uh, uh, Nine Inch Nails. I'm like, and these are all influences. These are all things that I like. Why wouldn't I want to record stuff that I like or write stuff that I like? You know, and I, I don't get that mindset to just, as you're saying, painting with just one brush and one color. You know, the palette has a lot of different things. You know, you don't eat the same thing night after night. So why do you write the same thing night after night? That's yeah, kind of. Unfortunately, though, uh, that seems to be the thing that the trend that's kind of going on. It's been going on for a long time, you know. Right. Um, 25 years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but you just have to be thankful. I think for some of the people that do step out of the box and then keep pushing, you know, and, um, that's seems to be a small minority of people, you know, and, and, and across a lot of, a lot of landscapes. It's not just music. <laughs> you know, right. It's, it's in movies. It's in a lot of stuff. I'll just keep it. At yeah. That. It's in a lot of, it's a lot of stuff. And look, like, there's nothing wrong with following a formula, you know, things have a formula and, you know, people want familiarity and you can trade in on those cliches, you know, and, and that, that gets people's attention. You know, human beings are pattern based people. They look for the pattern, you know, they, they, they look for that pattern. Right. Find it. And then it's, they get the, the release of the tension when they don't find it then it's a problem, you know, and, so, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, without going too deep, I just think, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, um, it's good to have, like, a little bit of both. And it depends on what I think the project is. Right. And you have to consider, I guess, like, what, you know, what the project is and then what you're working with, who you're working with, and, and what's your overall expectations of who you're putting that out to, mm -hmm. you know? And, um I think in, in, in anything, you know, at the end of the day, you got to find a fine line between maybe creating stuff with people in certain situations that fit that formula. But then if you're somebody that likes to grow and step outside the box, then you got to find a way to do right. that too, you know? And, um, you know, I, I think, I think that's the great thing about return to earth is that we've always made the time, um, committed to something on, on three, you know, different occasions with the records. And um, by doing that, we were able to fulfill, you know, a, a creative a void and, and kind of mark a chapter each time we right. made a record, you know. And that's the cool thing about that. When did these songs start coming together? Because obviously there's a big gap between uh, Automata and and the new stuff um, was some of this stuff laying around for years and you know, it just, okay. So, yes. so you guys are constantly working on the recipe until you feel it's right and finally bring it to the studio. I mean, to be, yeah, to be completely forthright, um, 
we had a bunch of songs that we were planning to release years ago. And then, you know, life happened, shit happened. Um, experiences happen amongst, um, I, I can speak for my own self saying that, you know, my life's been a bit of a roller coaster ride ever since those days and even during those days. Um, and because of that, uh, you know, we, we probably could have just let things lay. But I personally was always kind of jazzed by those kind of unfinished symphonies. I kept them kind of, you know, in my iTunes library, I would listen to them from time to time and think about the possibility of finishing them because I've always been jazzed by this project and always been, you know, looking to, to do probably more than the other guys just based on my availability and, and whatnot. But it, it really took them, it took Chris and I really kind of reuniting on another project we did called Hipster Slaves. Right. Um, which was just kind of done off the heels of like, hey, I still got the juice. Hey, I still got the juice. I got this riff. I got this idea. Can I send you this? And in a lot of ways, it kind of, I mean, we, we've never not been friends, but we definitely lost touch during that you know, period between recording those songs uh, initially and then not doing anything for a period of years. And um, I think it kind of rekindled our friendship and kind of got us, both jazz to be willing and able to do more return to earth stuff. And then when the pandemic happened, I really kind of pushed both of the other guys um, selfishly to say, Hey, like I need to do this. Like I, there was stuff going on in my life and because of the pandemic, like a lot of other people, I'm like, I need a lot of people kind of turned off during the pandemic. I don't know how to write or I don't, feel comfortable writing. And I was like the opposite. I'm like, bring me, your, bring me your huddled masses of songs and riffs. And, um, I need this, you know? <laughs> so, um, it's a keen observation on yeah. your part is that a song like big ideas, which we just released and a few songs that are going to be on the new record are from that old group of songs. Uh, but my hope was that we would have just released those songs Mm -hmm. as an as an EP or a series of digital songs and I think um, at least initially the we all got pretty psyched with how those came out after I retracked vocals and Chris fine-tuned and rebuilt a lot of them from the ground up and what happened was what I hoped would have happened and I think the same applies for the other guys is we got inspired to write some new shit and that's why even more so than on the last record, you might hear some more disparate styles because you're talking about a timeline of like, you know, 10 years worth of, not 10 years, maybe like seven or eight years of kind of that timeline of how this album, you know, came together. Gotcha. Yeah. And you brought up the, the side project. That was actually going to be one of my questions. How do you, how did you guys determine what was going to be returned to earth and what was going to be, on the side project or any other projects that you guys are, have worked on? Because I think one of the cool things is that you guys really haven't had any boundaries at all. You know, there's, there's really nothing to say, Hey, you know, this needs to go in this box. This needs to go in the other box. So what made you realize, Hey, this is going to be returned to earth instead of one of the other projects. I don't think we did. Um, I mean, we, 
you know, we all have kind of written a lot of things like on our own and, and, you know, you know, when, when we did the last record, Rhett and I were kind of getting more into production and, 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 you know, like what I've done, like in the past, you know, like 10 years, I've been doing like a lot of scoring, a lot of like writing, like commercial writing, um, you know, just doing tracks for, for other, you know, artists playing drums on, you know, other people's right. records, learning how to mix, taking on the responsibility of, of just trying to do a lot of that, you know, uh, sort of on my own. Some of it, I, you know, Brett and I, we had, you know, um, a, a lot of, uh, like we had like a, a production company together, you know, and we were doing a lot of stuff together and, you know, Ronnie was always like kind of on the peripheral and doing that too with us because he was in the same mindset and he had like, you know, a whole handful of bands that he was working on and music that he was always constantly working on. But like he would always send us stuff or like, you know, we'd send him stuff or like I'd write something on my own. And I remember like, you know, it's basically like two years ago at this point, um, I went down to visit Ronnie and just hang with him because at the time he was living in Maryland. And uh, I like played him like a bunch of tunes that I had like on my, my iPod or whatever it was on, at the time. And he's just like, why don't you put any of this stuff out? I'm like, I don't care. You know, like, like I just don't care because like, I just want to like, you know, make music and, and enjoy the process of making the music. And, you know, for me personally, I had done enough of the touring and all that, you know, being, you know, in the, the scene and stuff. I just don't care about that. Right. Shit. I have like, I don't care. And like, um, for me at the, at the end of the day, it was always about making a record and writing music. And that's something that we've all done in that massive gap in between, you know, the Automata record and, and this one. And so, like, I mean, if I were to show you, I bet every one of us, if we were to show you, like, what's in our playlist of the stuff that we wrote, it's just a shitload of songs, <laughs> right. you know? And that's all just part of the development process of doing, you know, the things you want to do to get closer to what you're trying to say creatively. And so um, I think when we were working on this record – there were certain things that I think Brett wanted to do. And I think Ronnie wanted to, to do, and then I, that I wanted to kind of do. And it was just a, a big pot of stuff. Certain things that were kind of floating around and were cool ideas. Other things that, um, you know, were sort of kind of finished, just needed to kind of break out the, you know, the hard drives and rebuild everything and then kind of, you know, finish them off, you know, that sort of thing. And then um, there were just, you know, certain tunes that Ronnie was just like, I just want to do like one sentence, like in this song and I think it'll be done, you know, and that's, and that's, that's it. It, it was, it was really, it wasn't really anything that was saved. It was just kind of like, well, you know, we got this and we got this and maybe we'll write something else. Cool. You know, let's see if that works. And if this feels good, then that'll go on the record. Was there anything going in that you specifically wanted to do that perhaps you hadn't done in the past? Maybe try 
a specific thing with, I don't know, a time signature, try something with, um, uh, I don't know, a specific instrument or Ron, was there something that you wanted to do with your voice that maybe you hadn't done in the past, maybe process it a certain way, or I don't know, anything that you guys can think of that going into the album, you were like, Hey, I really want to try this because we haven't done this previously. Or in your case, Chris, something that maybe you used engineering someone else's project and said, you know what, this would really sound cool if I did it with this specific Return to Earth track. Yeah, I think personally, exactly what you just said to that point is um, there were a lot of things because, you know, everybody's kind of doing their own record now. And because of the pandemic, everybody has to do their own record now. Right. And this is something that we've kind of been doing for the past 10 years. So we kind of came in. And I mean, even before that, you know, I went to school for for this type of stuff. And not just engineering, but just like synthesis and, you know, just like all the stuff that became the software explosion that allowed people to sit here now and you know, do stuff in, the, in their basements, you know, or in their rooms or whatever. Um, so for me, I think what it, it was really about was just trying to make a record that, um, that sonically, I think, that maybe could compete, you know, or taking advantage of, you know, okay, now like I have a pretty good understanding of how all this stuff works from an engineering, mixing, mastering, you know, I mean, that's a lifelong process, you know, and I'm not going to say that it, you know, it sounds amazing or anything like that. It's just something of meeting the challenge of where you are in that, you know, period of time and feeling like you're going to, you know, you're going to progress to like another level. Right. And uh, you'll make tons of mistakes. Certain things will, you know, I don't know, tax the computer out and you can't do anymore, you know, with the track because there's just so much shit going on. You can't do it anymore. Or, you know, it, it, you just make state mistakes. You learn from them and then you learn how to kind of correct them or research them and, and then, you'll find more mistakes down the road in another, another 10 weeks, five years, 10 years, because you love to do it and you want to just, you know, you want to keep doing it and you want to keep trying to get as best as, you know, the, the best you could do, you know, the, as best as you could get at it, you know? So yeah, this just documents that certain thing. So specifically, I think for me, the challenge was just like more jumping into the role of, being the guy that's, in, you know, trying to be in charge of handling the mixing aspect of, of everything that's going on. And, and those tracks are, are pretty busy. I mean, there's, you know, some track, some tracks, some of the songs have a hundred plus tracks on there. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of shit going on, you know? Right. So it's like, you know, how do we, how do we attack all of that? And, you know, based on what I've been doing for, I think the past 10 years that lended itself to, being able to do that and being, being able to feel comfortable enough to want to do that too. So. My perspective is completely different. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, my perspective is Chris's perspective is Chris, Chris Penny's perspective. You know, my perspective is the guy that's in a band with Chris Penny's perspective. And <laughs> that perspective, he doesn't understand that perspective because 
he's him, you know. Um, from my perspective, you know, there's there's really just two criteria that I really kind of always used in this band, um, even though the music has always been, you know, markedly different from song to song and album to album. The first is if you're in a band with Chris Penny, you want as many Chris Penny drum songs on a record as possible because it's Chris Penny, and right. you want and you as a fan and also a guy who's in the band you get jazzed from hearing Chris Penny play the drums. Uh, the second criteria for me is, you know, I want to, I have like one audience or an audience of two people when we're making these records and that's the other guys in the band. And when Chris sends me some of his like crazy Hans Zimmer influenced, you know, electronic you know, orchestrated like little masterpieces. I don't think he's just sending it to say, Hey, look what I made. He's also kind of sending it hopefully in a kind of subtle way to say, what can you do with this? It's almost like, you know, a pitcher throwing batting practice mm -hmm. to me and, and, and seeing if I can hit it out of the park, you know? Um, and, and it's been a real cool challenge for me because I think a lot of the music that he writes, the electronic music, that he writes and he really, you know, doesn't take enough credit for leaving his stamp on not just this record, but the last one too is kind of someone who's really gotten really good at that. Um, I accept the challenge. You know, I, a lot of times when I listen to that stuff, I'm like, well, this doesn't need anything. You know, this, this doesn't sound great on the next Christopher Nolan movie. Um, but then I think to myself, well, what if I, you know, what if I added a little something to it and, and kind of, turned it into a return to earth song in the process. And I think, you know, those have been my proudest moments in this band is getting those guys jazzed by sending back what I send and then, then not saying, well, this is, you know, them being like, yeah, this is, this is awesome. We're going to add this. Um, and I, I'd say if Brett was here, he would kind of say the same as a guitarist, just kind of you know, playing yeah. to your strengths. Like the pressure is off me as a, as a musician in a lot of ways, even though I'm, I play and, and write and make music. Like, uh, this is in, in a weird way, even though we're not collaborators in a traditional, traditional sense, we're as collaborative as any other band. Yeah. I think the thing that I love so much about getting the tracks back, like from Ronnie is that there were tunes that we had, like you said, they were just kind of like, sitting around for a while some of them had vocals on them but other ones didn't and i've listened to those songs i'm sure we all have we've listened to those songs like you know over the course of those 10 years and you and you just listen to them and you kind of you kind of like think like what what would it sound like with vocals or you get like used to how it sounds instrumentally and then like to hear him drop vocals on it takes it to a whole nother place which is really cool and that's like the beauty of like recording together you know and, and collaborating with people is that you know you have kind of one way of looking at things and then like he said you know ronnie said before it's just you have like one perspective and then when ronnie adds his perspective to the situation it totally changes it and that's awesome you know, and, and I think that's why people get together and play with one another. You know, people, you know, they form bands and, you know, like, um, I think that's the beauty of bands 
in general, because when you kind of get in a room or now at this point, multiple rooms via the internet or whatever it is, you know, you get that, you know, collaborative process and you get the, the human element that comes along with that, that interaction. And that's like when it, it turns things into like the special, it makes it special. When the human you know? factor show, what is that metal church? That's what I thought of when you said that. <laughs> wow. Wow. But wasn't that song about the opposite of what we're doing? <laughs> that song like, like debunked all like electronic music, didn't it? Didn't he like have a line what, in there talking? that said like a, just one more MIDI cable and I'm just ready to go. He was hating on us, bro. <laughs> I don't know if he was thinking that. I think he was just railing was against important. technology. The human factor. We're like long-haired dudes in the same room just rocking out, you know. The world's well, that's a whole other – to me, that's like a whole other element. That's a whole other ball game that you're talking about because, you know, it's like – you know, when when you think about bands, you know, it's like you think about Metallica just sitting there playing for three to four hours, like, you know, in the practice room before they even hit the stage. And, and you know, that's a band that is, you know, their whole thing is is the necessity to get together and play, you know, and, and that's been like that their whole life. They need that, you know, like you're not going to tell, you know, James Hetfield that like, to, to send Laura's like uh, this riff, like over the internet, that's not happening. You know, that's not where they came from, you know, um, that's what they do. And they're really great at it. You know, like that's what a lot of those bands did, you know, all of those bands, there's a reason why I think they sound the way they do, you know, because it had to do with that's where things were. That's what people did. You know, you got in a room and, and you hashed it out. You know, and I mean, you know, we were all part of that at some point, mm -hmm. you know, because that's what, what what music was, you know. Um, look, there's like pros and cons to to all of that stuff, you know. Um, that's a that's a really, really deep and long topic. But. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like. You know, watching, you know, watching a year and a half in the life of Metallica is, is always awesome to me because it's like, you know, they're sitting there rehearsing that stuff and they're just interacting with each other or like rage against the machine, just punch the hole in the wall, run the cables right through the hole, right into the board. And, and let's just go, you know, let's just capture the fire. Right. You know, and things are, are, are different now. It's not, it's not really all about capturing the fire. It's about, you know, making a production mm -hmm. you know things have definitely gone more down the production you know road of you gotta you know we gotta like you know tune everything and uh you know double everything up with like you know the synth so everything's like super fat and trigger all the drums replace everything or blend them in and so it sounds massive and it, everything sounds um you know uh you know, we can, we just get everything like super, super like fat and it's compressed so that we can master the hell out of it. Like as loud as it can be, you know, that's, that's kind of what dictates right now, you know, mm -hmm. and 
that's just because of the situation too, you know, and, you know, everybody's kind of seems to be following it. There seems to be a little bit of a backlash towards it, obviously too. there will always be that, but, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think, I think having like a little bit of both or, you know, or a million different ways to do it. Cause there are an infinite amount of ways, but I think, um, at the end of the day, you know, um, these are all techniques to arrive at something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, it all, you know, it, 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 things are just different now. The landscape of music is just different. It's just different, you know? And I'm curious to see where it goes. Yeah, it's, it's, towards the, uh, it's heading towards a landscape where Metal Church has to accept us for what we are. <laughs> well, <laughs> There's that famous um, Iron Maiden uh, VHS from way back when. I guess they made it a DVD, part of a DVD now, but where they go into, I think, Poland or something like that. And there's a guy explaining to Bruce Dickinson that he does heavy metal music on keyboards. And he says, oh, you can't have heavy metal on keyboards. And like two years later, Pretty Hate Machine comes out. So that shows you the evolution of where things went now. You know, you, you say that to a kid and a lot of people can't grasp that. But back then, that was like the whole thing where people even put on their albums. No synths were used during the recording of this or stuff like that. Like, you're supposed to be proud of that, that you limited yourself when you may have been able to add something cool that, you know, was was at your grasp. So, uh, again, yeah. like... And music's no, I think like heavy, you know, heavy music has always been interesting like that, though, too, because, you know, in that sense, you also um, kind of defy, define the limitations and you work within that. And that's always mm-hmm. a good thing, too. You know, it, it's I look at it always from like the, the standpoint of, you know, um, a lot of, you know, a lot of metal drummers, they would have like nine piece like drum set two kicks more up and like two down tons of cymbals and it you know that's like super colorful like it's great because you have like a lot of different colors a lot of different things to to technically paint with but you know it's also good to like just duck out of that too and just go with like three drums and like a ride a hi-hat and two cymbals and see what you can come up with then you know and um, I don't know. I think, you know, it's like whatever, whatever is there, whatever you have to like, you know, kind of paint with and work with, just, you know, being resourceful like that, no matter whatever, you know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, guys with tons of money, people who have no money, like at some point, somewhere along the line, everybody's like made something cool. Like some of the worst sounding records are still like my favorite records. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, cause it's just raw. So, yeah. but, you know, I think like keeping open to all of that, I think is important because, you know, feeling whatever kind of vibe or you're feeling, cause nobody feels, I don't, I, I don't feel the same thing every day. I definitely, right. you know, I wake up one day and I want to hear Michael Jackson and the next day, I, you know, I, I want to hear Deicide, you know, that's just <laughs> kind of like, how it's always been and so mm-hmm. you know i think that i think that's why 
you know, our records sound the way they do. And I think that's the other thing, you know, going back even further, like just, you know, being with Dillinger was definitely all about that. Because all the, you know, the kids in that band too were the same mindset, you know? And then kind of, you know, jumping on familiar territory with that band and, and then getting out of that and then going into Poheed, you know? So it's just always, you know, like getting out of like the safe space, doing, you right. know, something else, you know, and that's how you grow. Metal church though, yeah. man. <laughs> Badlands, baby. Yeah, I, I think one important thing to to take away from this is that I think as you grow as musicians, kind of different things make that spark go off. Um, whereas maybe hitting the stage and playing with some of the bands you just mentioned maybe did it for you back then. The creative challenge of being in a studio is kind of what lights that fire now. You know, as we all evolve... You know, a lot of people don't understand this. You know, when bands start to change their sound or, you know, whatever. Oh, they sold out. No, you don't do as you just said. You don't do the same thing day after day. So why do you expect a band to do that? You know, everyone wants yeah. to grow. Everyone wants to evolve. So music is a lot about emotion. You know, when people start to say, oh, I want Metallica to do Master of Puppets too. Well, they can't. Because they're not in that specific point in time again. They can't, yeah. you know, there's so many factors that went into making that album special, making that emotional connection. And I, I look at it this way, for example. Uh, my kids are now starting to get into music, 10 and 8 years old. And I had my oldest out of the blue come up to me and say, um, What's the name of the new ACDC album? I said, oh, it's Power Up. Yeah, I've been listening to that, you know, the last few days, and I really like it. I listen to it all the time. And and the first thing that came to mind was he's not thinking about whether Brian Johnson wasn't the original singer, whether Malcolm wasn't on the album. He's just right. talking about enjoying the music for yeah. what it is. And I think that that escapes a lot of people in that – about emotion, about being entertained. And it doesn't have to be about fucking sweet picking and, you know, who, who can play at 380 beats per minute throughout a song. You know, there needs to be ebbs and flows to make it special. So, yeah, I think it gets lost on a lot of people now as time goes by. Yeah, I think, you know, there are certain bands that fill that purpose and you want to hear that. And sure. You know, from that that's awesome and they probably won't deviate that far from it but within their framework though too they're, they're also you know evolving you know they may like tweak certain things that you know hey we did this like on the record you know like on this new record and, and that's these are the subtleties that you know that are kind of evolving like our sound because I think everybody's got their certain journey they're on and it's funny too sure. because, you know I always believe that, you know, I don't know, this is always like paradox, like yin and yang, like for everything. Cause it's like, you don't wake up every day and do the same thing. 
but I also do believe in the repetition of doing things to get good at something too, you know? So in it, you know, in there lies like the, the real, um, the push and pull of everything, you know, cause do sticking to a schedule, setting your goals and sticking to them and working towards them requires a lot of repetition in and out, you know, to build that, to build the vocabulary, you know, but, um, yeah, you know, I, Music, like, has been this interesting thing where I think um, you have certain things that you listen to it because it's fulfilling, like, a certain technical need or, you know, you go to certain bands because it fills that vibe. Um, And then there are bands that you just listen because you love to listen to them. And I feel like man yeah there's i wonder if you ask people like if some of the stuff especially like with metal it's so you know it, it's so uh focused on the musicianship and mm-hmm. you know this the real virtuoso like playing um that you really you really that's the first thing you really focus in on and everybody's kind of focused in on it more as it's going on and so that's really become like the calling card for like you know how fucked up can they make this song like you know and lose everybody from like the first like you know 10 to 15 seconds or like how can they wow you within the first like minute of the of of the song or just outrun you for like seven minutes you Mm -hmm. know and (laughs) That's those are the calling cards and and that's great. Um, but I think, you know, as you get older, I, for me, it was oh, it's always been since I was like five years old that I've always loved to listen to music. And then I have certain bands and certain things that fill the role of doing what I want to do because, you know, I'm a musician and I'm focusing, you know, focusing in on like, you know, the the kick pattern. Right. You know, and then that like really makes it like, you know, for the song for me, but you know, there's, there's a balance of that because that's not like all I listen to. I'm just not like, wow, God. Yeah. Like you said, guys like playing 300 BPMs, like, but the song sucks. Like, you know, it just doesn't, you know, it's never really, you know, been about that, you know? Um, So I don't know. I mean, I just, I just think that, especially now too, like across the board, a lot of things have definitely kind of fit into like a like a formula, you know. And again, like I said, that's not a bad thing if that's what you're going for. But I think once things step outside of like the realm of what's familiar, people are pretty quick to like just be like, "Oh, man, it sucks. God sucks, man." Right. It's you know, and and hey, that's fine. You know, but again, I think when it comes to us, I definitely speak on behalf of everybody in the band. Like, I don't care. Never care. <laughs> right. Never care about that. And and yeah, and that might be a, like a marketing nightmare. But at the same time, I think, you know, for us, first and foremost, because when Ronnie hit us, you know, Brett and I up, you know, he said, Dude, I, I need to do this. I need I need an outlet. I need to, you know, to make these songs. 
mm-hmm. you know, and, and we quickly followed right after that and said, yeah, because this is, this is going to be, you know, a, a nice little journey for us and we'll make something that we're proud of and, and enjoy listening to afterwards. So the, to me, that's what it's all about. Cool. Um, Automata was released by Metal Blade. Do you guys intend on pairing up with a label for these two releases, or is it going to be just independent uh, ball freak music releases? We were open-minded to releasing it on a label because, you know, ball freak music right now is pretty much me, and I didn't want to uh, ship vinyl records out to Chris Penny fans in Japan and the Netherlands. (laughs) but at the same time based on you know everything that chris just said and just the history of the band as as a whole uh we knew that we just weren't going to whore this music out to anybody so we kind of you know one thing i learned about my experience and the band's experience with metal blade is even amongst the metal community, I think we're kind of considered outsiders. We don't really fit the mold of the traditional metal band that would be on a metal blade, you know? Um, So with that in mind, um, and based on our own fandom and opinions of what labels we think are cool, I was pretty restrictive about, you know, pitching this out to labels with the idea that, hey, like, that's plan A, but if plan A doesn't work out the way we want it in XX amount of time, then plan B is what what was always plan B. And as you know, was plan A for many years when the label was more of a, you know, a physical brick and mortar label. Mm-hmm. We'll just put it out ourselves. Um, and, and that's fine. Like that's, I'm here to do that. And I'm, I'm, I've always been the guy in the band to kind of take on that responsibility. And I've asked for it in the past and, um, with all that said, I think, you know, we, we can keep our expectations low on what to expect because as Chris said earlier, you know, you have, sometimes you got 15 seconds, 30 seconds to impress a listener. I don't want to think in those terms when I put a record out, I want to send it to you, Victor, and get your feedback because I know you're actually going to listen to the thing backwards and forwards. And my hope is that there's a couple of thousand people out there who'll do the same. And that's really, I think all of our expectations beyond our own expectations for us being happy with the results is that I know, you know, I was a 12 year old, 14 year old. I was, you know, your, your kid's age and maybe not that young, but you know, when I was discovering bands like, Prong and Wrathchild America and Sacred Reich and, you know, bands that really didn't have that level of right. success. And and I'm nostalgic for that music. I don't go back and listen to it every day, but me and the other guys in the band, we kind of, you know, we just did it during this interview. Like we, we bond over our mutual like nerdy fandom of old metal when we were kids. And I, I think that's why at least I kind of yearn to be part of that community in this band because we are wearing a little bit of those influences on our sleeve mm-hmm. and the nine inch nails and the ministries, of course. Um, and at the same time, yeah, like I don't, I'm not a bedroom artist. I want people to hear this shit because I think it's good, you know? And if, if bald freak music is, is the only way for me to put my stamp on that and get it out to the world, then, then that's the way we're going to do it. 
by the way, I, I got to see Sacred Reich with not Wrathchild America, but when they changed their name to Souls at Zero at uh, the the uh, at Studio One in Newark, New Jersey. Um, <laughs> Crowbar was opening up for them. So, <laughs> so you know I saw Sacred Reich with um it was uh Sick of It All, Napalm Death, Sacred Reich, and Sepultura. Uh on uh, the Arise tour okay. at uh, Obsessions over in <laughs> Randall. Right. And that show, that show was great. That was a great, great show. Um, and then the year after that was like Malevolent Creation. Um, I think it was like Malevolent Creation, Agnostic Front, and Obituary. Right. And that's great, too. It was really, that was like my first like real, you know, like besides going to see like Slayer and Metallica, like, at, you know, at the right. arenas, much more intimate venue and this band is just like literally was crushing, you know? And, and yeah, I was like, I don't remember, 12 years old, 13 years old, I think at that time. That was awesome. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a discussion about uh, Obsessions two weeks ago, actually. One of, uh, one of my listeners... Um, is from Roxbury. Um, so we we had this a whole discussion on that because I haven't lived in the area in like 18 years. I'm originally from Dover, and that's if I'm I not live. mistaken, Randolph. So yeah, yeah, that's where I'm at. You guys are neighbors, but we're neighbors at some point. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Well, yeah. So and now he lives in Spain. And now I live in Spain. So much what? like mine, I didn't meet him until, you know, I started doing this, you know, started podcasting. So I lived five minutes away from the guy, probably was in the same record shops and all with him way back when at the, you know, Roxbury and Ledgewood Malls and whatnot. Yeah. And never knew who he was. So That's hilarious. Wow. Small world, man. Small world. Absolutely. Uh, that's when you were talking about the diversity of music before it was one of the things that crossed my mind that I'm kind of thankful that I did grow up in that area in the sense that music was never off limits with some of the stuff that you had mentioned. You didn't have to be just a metal guy. You didn't have to be just, you know, listen to one specific type of music growing up, thankfully because I did have an older brother and because a lot of friends around me listened to a lot of different things. It was never really shunned upon to have a lot of those influences. And I think maybe that has to do with the diversity in that specific area. And obviously the, the entire New York metropolitan area, but I think, you know, growing up in Morris County, there are a lot of different influences of different ethnicities that kind of help push music that way. Yeah, that's true. That's definitely true. Um, you know, I, I, it's interesting uh, when you look through it all though, Things become predictable, predictable in their unpredictability, though, too. That's like mm -hmm. what's interesting to me is like, um, and I just find like, you know, interesting, like idiosyncrasies, like in society with all of that, because it's just like, oh, you know, like just keep an open mind to like everything. Like, it's cool. Like, you know, and, and it's like, yeah, great. Awesome. You know, and, and definitely feel lucky and fortunate to to have grown up in a, a multi, you know, close to 
influenced by a multicultural, you know, society. I didn't grow up in, in the middle of Nebraska, you know, where I think, right. you know, and then no offense to anybody in Nebraska. It's just, I, at that time, traveling through that area many times, you're not, it's just different. That's all. There's nothing, I don't even believe that, you know, there's, you know, thing that's interesting to me is that there's like, right now, there definitely seems to be this like pervasive attitude of like, just because you're on the coast, it's better. I never thought that, you know, I just think you get exposed to different things, you know, and, right. and, and playing music and being part of the arts. I think that's, I think that's a good thing. I think it's important, you know, um, because what I wanted to do, uh, it was, it was informative and it, and it allowed me to kind of incorporate a lot of things into maybe something that I grew up with initially, which was rock and metal music. And mm -hmm. then the other guys in, in Dillinger, when we started it, um, were along the same lines, you know? And so, yeah, having the diversity thing, it, you know, was great. It, it led to a lot of cross-pollination and crossbreeding of ideas. Um, but at the same time, too, I, I do believe in committing to something and, and moving forward and, and then providing, you know, all the stuff you've soaked in and want to spit back out. You need to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you have too many options or too many things or quote unquote, like too open minded, I, I think to really dive in or get your hands dirty and, and move forward with something, um, that can be a problem. I think that's like, uh, can be a problem for, I, I know a handful of people, you know, like the students or people in other bands, that just, I just don't know like what, how to proceed with this. It's just like, you just, just put the shit down. Like, just, you know, it's like the, like an author or a composer where they're just like, I, I spend like the first like couple months like freaking out after I got like, you know, the deal. And now I don't know like what's right. Gotta start somewhere. Mm -hmm. Just make it happen, you know. Um, so yeah, I mean that you know this area. Uh, I think it's great, you know. Um, but at the same time, there is definitely like a, a pervasive attitude, though, too, of like if you're not on that level, then you know you're just not on our level, and mm -hmm. that sucks too. Right. You know. It's just, just just as bad. It's like just as much as like, you know, well, if you're not open minded enough, then well, then you're, you know, we're closing, we're closing you out of everything that's going on. That's just as bad as like, you know, the tight knit community that's just like, oh, it's, you know, not fast enough or it's not cool enough or, you know, it's not this enough, you know. Right. right. You know, so it's, yeah, yeah it's funny. Everything has like its own place. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's almost like a if you're not 100 percent with us, you know, you're against this type of a deal. Whereas in reality, you know, maybe you're 75 percent there, 80 percent there, you know, and instead of being respectful and understanding, it's like, no, nah, we're shutting you out altogether. Yeah. Yeah. There's the theory of things and then there's the reality of things. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Getting back to the release of the material that you guys have just recorded, um, 
I'm assuming based on what you said, Ron, that uh, there will be physical a physical release. There will be CDs and vinyl coming out. CDs. Okay. There's still some bands that are releasing CDs. This is why I asked because then I have, I have listeners that say, why aren't they putting it out on CD? You think I'm made of money over here? Um, We are, I personally wanted to put this record out on vinyl. Uh, We've never had a vinyl release. Uh, including the Metal Blade release. Um, this is our record. This is our project. This is our baby from beginning to end. And that was one of the goals I kind of set when I decided we were going to release this. So we're going to do a limited edition vinyl run. And in fact, I think outside of just um, those fans, I, we might not release it under any other format except for vinyl. And of course, if you buy the vinyl, you can download it so you can listen, you know, mobily or anything like that. Maybe somewhere down the road. I mean, listen, I love music. I listen to music every day. I've never stopped. It's part of my job. It's part of my career as a musician and as a radio producer and just as a fan and a podcaster. But, you know, putting your music out without that machine behind you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you asked about a label before. What are the advantages besides not doing the label work mm-hmm. because it raises, you know, I mean, it raises your profile. There's no doubt about it. And, and we, we were attracted to that when we signed to metal blade, we knew who metal blade was and what metal blade had done leading up to that signing. And we were enamored with that. I mean, I could speak for myself at least saying that that was intriguing to me. Um, but this time around, if we're just doing things on our own again, and it looks like we are, um, you know, putting your shit out on Spotify, of course, it's the best way to get it heard. But it's like, you know, dropping a pebble in the ocean. Right. And I don't want, I, I like pebbles, you know, but I also like, I'd rather somebody who who's, wants to hold that physical record in their hand and is going to listen to it more than once and, Mm-hmm. give it the attention it deserves. That's who we're making this record for besides ourselves. We're making it for you, Victor. Uh, basically, you know, that, that's kind of, that's kind of the goal. Um, I'm sorry that you, you know, maybe we'll do a CD. Uh, if we, if we do a CD, will you listen to it on CD? Um, as long as it comes with the vinyl, I'd get a combo of both. You would get the vinyl and the CD. I just got, um, I just received this week Armored Saints new live album, and I got it on limited edition vinyl. And I only I, I got the CD only because it came with the DVD of the show. So we got no we got no DVDs. That's for sure. Not in this band. <laughs> you get a DVD of Chris sitting in his in his studio mixing the record. That's uh that's the extent of uh, of any video footage we have. Well, I'm no John Bush, but I, I think you're, you're touching upon something which is not a secret in the music industry right now, is that you're kind of marketing to your super fans at yeah. this point, um, especially in the metal world. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like, where I feel like fandom is good and bad is, is pretty rabid. Mm-hmm. Um, so that said, that's why we're making the record, I think, on vinyl, because... 
I want, you know, I, I'm curious to see if, if we'll move them. You know, I'm curious to see if whatever I can do to put the record out there through the usual channels will help to turn people onto this record and want them to buy it on vinyl. And I want to just put my vinyl record on, on, on the on top of the fireplace and say, Hey, we did this. It's, it's kind of like, um, Chris said uh, much earlier in this interview, it's, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like a snapshot of our musical history. And mm-hmm. it's nice to kind of have that physical trinket and we're all music fans and we know what vinyl kind of brings to the table at this point. It ha- kind of has that extra element of exploration and we you know we we did the due diligence and to to have some cool artwork and put the lyrics out on the record we want our fans whoever they are wherever they are to have that full experience when it comes out it was interesting i saw someone on social media said to you hey does this mean you're going to be releasing the other two albums on vinyl now Maybe question mark. Uh, <laughs> let's let's talk. Let's talk in a year. Let's let's see how you know. Let's see how the fresh material uh, sells before we go back to our you know our riches that are in the archives. Which which is what you kind of said to him. I I did a real cool interview earlier this week uh, with a singer out of Sweden, and he brought up a lot of points about the economics of a band. Um, you just brought up, you know, DVDs and going back and reissuing things and whatnot. From his standpoint, it was they didn't know if they were going to be touring or not. Um, and he flat out said, he said, look, I need to at least break even when I go out to play. He said, just the, the rush of going out on stage is enough as long as we break even for me to say, okay, it's worth my while. But he said, economically, if we're going to be losing hundreds of thousands of dollars, he goes, there's no reason to, to tour this. It's a similar deal. I think a lot of people don't realize that vinyl and, and ultimately CDs, if you have a thousand CDs lying in your closet, which is what happened to a lot of people back in the day, it's a big money loser for, for you guys. You also have to make sure that it all economically makes sense to you guys. You know, the, the super fan is going to buy certain things, but there are going to be other things that ultimately, well, are you going to, are you going to be forced to make a thousand CDs just to sell two? You know, it, it, I think a lot of people, I mean, they, they mean well, but I think they don't realize that there's still a lot of money going into things, especially if you guys are going to be independently releasing all this. Mm -hmm. This band's first release came out in 2006 I mean, we're talking 15 years. I mean, the, we've talked about changed landscapes a lot in this interview and, and mm-hmm. music consumption, you, you know, music consumption in general, that landscape is, it was already changing in 2006 for the worse. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to talk about economic viability for a, for a band like this or most bands, and then you, you know, you toss the pandemic in there um, and you think about, you know, how bands that, are not like us. We're not kind of structured in the way that Return to Earth is. Are really struggling to figure out how to survive at this point, for better or for worse. I mean, in a way, it's kind of like cool that none of us in this band like are relying on this record to succeed to put bread on the table. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've, you know, we've talked before, Victor. I mean, I've had this, um, you know, as a record label owner and, and a media professional, whatever you want to call me, um, I've been, you know, kind of bantering about this since the very beginning of starting Ball Freak Music was that I kind of regretted that I had never put all my eggs in the basket in the way that Chris has, you know. And I always kind of lamented, well, maybe that's part of the reason I haven't achieved that level of success because I've never been fully 100% dedicated to music in my life. I've always had a job, you know. Um, Now I'm not regretting (laughs) that decision at all. I mean... It's funny how, you know, the world is kind of conformed to um, my standards, so to speak, or my choices. Um, that doesn't mean we don't want to put our best foot forward and we don't want to sell as many records as possible. And I don't want to have a thousand jewel cases sitting in a closet or a, an attic or anything like that. So I am making prudent choices as the label guy in the situation. And I think... Putting, you know, putting out a few hundred copies of a record to start and making a video and putting the record out there and doing this EP release that we did just to kind of remind people that, hey, like, we went away, but we never really fully went away. Um, Mm -hmm. That's all part of, you know, that's all part of the plan. What happens is out of my hands. It's out of Chris's hands. It's even out of your hands, um, even if you decide to buy the record on CD. Um, that's not why we did this, but I'd be, you know, I'd be remiss not to say that I'm not thinking about it. I I mean, I've always had to think about it from, from day one of self-releasing the first cue ball album in 2002. I've always been that guy who's just been like, I'm going to do this and, you know, I'm going to throw it at the wall and see what happens and take the good and the bad. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start singing the facts of life theme song right now. So I'm just going to play it now. Hey Ron, good use of the rule of thirds there in your uh, in your video. You got it, dude. Is that did I cover it all? You got it, dude. No, I'm not talking about it, dude. Just the way you're framed up there, dude. Got a nice little little third hanging out here, third there, third there. Oh dude. yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't do a lot of these, man. So I'm glad. I'm glad it's it's working out. Yeah, I'm on the swivel chair. You know, good shot, man. Framed up nice. <laughs> Where are you? You look like you're in the Millennium Falcon. What's, what's I am, dude. That? Absolutely, dude. Is that the, is that the new setup? See, this is what happens, Victor, when you don't when you talk to guys who are in a band and they don't live in the same state. <laughs> yeah, dude. We're I'm learning new things about you. Right prime, dude. Let's do this. <laughs> Hello, Jeremy Weltman. Yes, vinyl is cool. He, he called me Rob, though, so he's disqualified. No, he's he's saying Rob to uh, Rob oh, Rowe. Oh, okay. I apologize. There. Yeah. <laughs> so Rob uh, is the other guy. Oh, hi, Rob and Jeremy. Are these your regulars? Yeah, Are there's usually the, a bunch more. The Norman Cliff of the Mars Attack Radio podcast. Yeah, there's there's a few, and um, it's it's usually like about ten people in here every week. I, I don't, you know, I, oh, people have their lives. People are carving pumpkins and watching horror movies. I guess that that could be it. Um, last time we spoke, Ron, I kind of talked to you about this off air. We talked about Hurricane Sandy. It was a year after it had affected you. All these years later, today you mentioned was the anniversary of 
when the hurricane first hit. Um, do those memories or the hardship of what took place as a result of that? Obviously, you've evolved and grown from that, but does any obviously. of that? <laughs> well, I wouldn't say obviously, but, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you feel that? that will always be a part of you what took place then um because i mean i i still think back you posted an image i believe it was of um was it nine inch nails broken like on the floor i I had a signed lithograph uh that i had stolen from my my boss's office (laughs) at the radio station that was signed by trent yeah that was kind of like uh Amongst many other, you know, as I'm sure you have, kind of rock and roll and musical artifacts that I had um, in the home studio uh, when Ball Freak Music was, you know, kind of more of a physical presence in New York City. Um, man, I hope not. I, you know, it's been nine years. Uh, you know, it's interesting that you bring it up because uh, my life is, I feel like I've lived about seven or eight lives since uh, that all happened to me. A lot of other things have happened that don't make me forget about it, but um, Mm -hmm. I will say that, not to get too deep down the rabbit hole, but that whole experience really taught me how to deal with what's been going on in the world for the past year and a half, and maybe in that sense at least, kind of deal with it a little better. Mm -hmm. Um, Kind of the adversity of it. I feel like this was everybody's hurricane. You know, this was the world's hurricane because the one thing that I do remember about that time uh, nine years ago and in the months that followed and even the year or so that followed was just this numbness of, uh, you know, it it was a very, you know, hurricanes, natural disasters, they're, um, you know, they're kind of geographically specific. Mm -hmm. So if you're a guy in New York City and your house and your record label and all the shit in it is destroyed by a hurricane or a tornado, somebody in Dallas, Texas, or Spain, or the Netherlands would probably read about it online or find out about it and think, you know, that's unfortunate. Uh, and then go back to their lives, you know. Um, that experience was very, you know, Staten Island, New York, New York City specific. Right. And I felt like a lot of people just didn't, you know, a lot of people just kind of after that week it kind of passed including family members and friends who would come to help me, label mates, and, you know, had kind of just moved on with their lives. The holidays were coming. And whereas I was just like, I was like a lost soul for a period of time. And I would credit that experience to kind of one of the reasons why Return to Earth really kind of hit the pause button for a while, because I was, I was in a place where I was just kind of trying to rebuild my, my life, never mind my musical career. Um, but I will say that outside of the anniversary of it, you know, I don't, I don't try to harp on any of the bad stuff that is attached to it. It's not easy sometimes, but um, when I do think about this day, uh, one thing that I do try to kind of perpetuate is the gratitude of being here nine years later and, you know, releasing another record on ball freak music. And Mm -hmm. after the storm, uh, you know, I kind of reinvented myself as a solo musician and traveled to make music and kind of did the opposite 
of the template that I had created in that time when I was releasing Cuball and Bumblefoot albums and doing all that stuff. Um, that that all got washed away, you know. And and I and I could, I'm a very existential person. I kind of saw that as a sign of like, hey, maybe maybe Mother Nature's telling me something here. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe this is just an opportunity for me to just kind of do what I continue to do and love, but just do it in a different way because I can't do it the same way anymore. And nine years removed from that experience, Victor, I'm, you know, like, I think I've come to good terms with it. The one thing I, I do regret is it is a big narrative in my life. It is a big thing that, you know, on my, my own podcast and in my own experience and conversations with friends and everybody from people I've never met before to therapists. I mean, just the fact that it comes up as something that I think I just, you know, it's time to move on, man. <laughs> you know, it's time, it's time to move on and wait for the next hurricane to come along. You know, um, that's, that's kind of the way I look at it at this point. Well, hopefully in Nashville, you won't be seeing any of those anytime soon. Not hurricanes, but uh, you know this is tornado country right here. Yeah. So, um, what? Yeah, what's the uh, what's the natural disaster uh, situation in Spain? Oh, is it safe there? I got to find a safe. What's safe in America? Yeah, well, it's it's different. Uh, um, for example, there weren't any hurricanes here up until after Katrina. Actually, when when Katrina hit, there was. Um, I don't know if you guys, if this gets over to the news or not, there's a volcano that's going off over here. It has been going off for a few weeks. Yeah. Um, so the equivalent of the governor of those islands, when Katrina happened, said, oh, what a disgrace. That would never happen here and all this and what a shame and blah, blah, blah. A month later, the first ever hurricane hit Europe and – that specific area of Spain was without power and water for about a month. So it goes to show that you shit talk situations like that because you don't know what, what could happen next. I mean, uh, for me, it's the weather where I'm at is similar to like Seattle. It rains a lot. Uh, we get a lot of like wind here and, um, we get winds coming up from Africa, actually, which is like hotter than hell. It'll it'll be like hundred degree winds that are coming yeah. up, and to top it off, there's when the wind comes up, the scientific um, uh, thing that happens is that the atmosphere is charged up with ions, so it can give you headaches. It makes certain people go like crazy. You know, there's a lot of different like weird atmospheric effects that interest that take place. So um I remember playing festivals in the summertime over yeah. there, man. Super oh, yeah. hot. Super hot. Oh yeah. I, I, I like I, that. I went to a festival in Madrid once. It was so fucking hot. And there was we had we had camped out and I was like, man, I saw a hotel on the way and I'm like, I'm seeing if there are any rooms left because I'm not I'm not dealing with 100 degree weather at night. I walk there. The, the dude at the counter says to me, oh, "It's kind of expensive. It's 50 bucks for the night." I'm like, "I'll take it. You got AC? I'll take it." Yeah, it's worth it. It's well, so cheers worth it. to uh, to natural disasters. <laughs> there you go.
Yeah, was, Mother Earth says, get out. Mother Earth. <laughs> he was saying that whole Mother Earth discussion. The first thing that came to mind was was your discussion on having to switch from a, a nine-piece kit down to a three-piece kit. You know, he had he had a certain situation put in front of him, and he had to pivot. Mm -hmm. This is true. This is very true. I'm just waiting for Elon Musk to get everybody off the planet. <laughs> Go hang out in Mars. It's going to be awesome. Ron, <laughs> Ron, you mentioned your podcast a second ago. What gave you the podcasting bite? What made you want to start to interview people in this? You did. Me? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Getting loose now. All right. <laughs> um. <laughs> I'm a music fan, man. I mean, I worked at a commercial radio station in New York that just was churning out bubblegum pop and boy bands. and um, It gave me an opportunity, you know, to, they gave me a pail and a shovel and said, hey, what do you want to do? And it seemed pretty easy. And then having the opportunity to have access to guys like Scott Ian and Duff McKagan and Henry Rollins and Weird Al Yankovic was for a guy who, you know, grew up with a lot of that music was, it wasn't just a blast as a fan, but, you know, maybe, you, you know, you can speak to this too. It's, it was also an opportunity to kind of cull some wisdom, you know. Mm -hmm. and, um, what I did learn, and it kind of intertwined with that period in my life when I was doing, uh, when I started Independent Minded, um, that was when the hurricane kind of happened very early on in that process at the end of 2012, I think it was like, I had done like two episodes, three episodes. And I realized that I need, um, I need someone to light a fire under my ass to get me back in the game. Mm -hmm. And I think at around that time, when I started it up again in 2013, it served that purpose, you know, like talking to, not just big artists, but artists that were less known than I was. Right. Who were coming into town or making a new record or, or whatever the case may be. Hearing 20-somethings talk about their passion, and um, that was good medicine for me. Um, mm -hmm. And then moving to D.C. and having to do it in D.C. where I didn't have a studio to work out of or a big behemoth media company behind me. That was another challenge. Do I care at my age? Do I want to go out and stick a microphone in somebody's face at the 930 club or the black cat? And I tried it out. And after a couple of episodes, I realized yeah, the answer is yes. And now starting it up again, now mm -hmm. that tours are happening again and shows are happening again, just like putting this record out. It's a lot of work and it's a lot of time and mental energy. But you know what, man? It's like, it's who I am, man. It's, you know, I, I call the label bald freak music because it's, I'm, a, I'm the bald freak, dude. Like, it's me, you know. So everything that I do, everything I stick my toes in and my fingers in is a part of me. So that's why I continue to do them. And, and I don't know if there's more in the coffers waiting. I just take it one project and one experience at a time. But right. I, I will say that you know, being committed to this project, to the label, to the podcast, I'd like to think it says something about either my resilience and or my stupidity because 
I don't know what else to do with myself besides these things. Right. Cool. Uh, Chris, from a engineering or mixing or producing standpoint, what projects or initially come to mind to you as things that you felt came out better uh, than you initially anticipated that, you know, you're proud to show off to people. Oh man, there's a lot of things. I, I mean, you know, I think in the past 10 years, I, it's been one thing after another where I've just been thrown to the fire with a lot of stuff. And that, it really extends further outside of a band situation. You know, I think uh, doing the return to earth record was kind of a culmination of that doing like a collection of songs, but you know, the past 10 years, it's been like um, I've done stuff like, you know, composed, mixed, mastered, you know, written stuff for, you know, like companies like layer and uh, like stuff that's, you know, part of like, you know, Turner network and, you know, movies. And so people, you know, like, and I just jump from one thing to the next. And so like, um, you know, Brett and I, we were working on stuff for this company, the guy who, you know, was kind of in charge of uh, being the director and all this stuff was a guy that worked in Hollywood and, and was a screenwriter and worked on that movie Jack with Robin Williams. And, you know, he was like kicking his gigs and, and it would be, you know, one week it would be like the the call on, on the Monday would come in and it would be like, yeah, the, like, you know, this track is gonna have like a John Williams vibe. So can you write something like that by Wednesday? Okay, cool. Uh, let's try it. Or um, we're doing like something for Bentley. Can you put together some sort of electronic track? You know, and then the next week it's like, uh, can we come up with something that's like, uh, you know, Cajun punk rock music? Can you do death metal music? Can you do? So like every week it would be like something new. And then that would lead to something else. Whereas like, you know, can you write for like this music library? Can you churn out like 10 songs in like a couple weeks? Like that sound like this sort of vibe. And so like, um, it really it really like uh, honed the chops in all levels. And, um, you know, you know, when we kind of, you know, kind of ran it, it ran its course and, and, and that sort of thing, then we jumped into something else. And then like, you know, I started jumping into doing more like, you know, post audio work where I was just, you know, cleaning, you know, people's dialogue up, you know, for, for whatever, like, you know, for some Pfizer commercial or Dell, you know, and trying to like, you know, especially like, you know, especially in the pandemic um, where the producers and, and, and the directors and everybody couldn't fly out on location mm-hmm. uh, to all the people. And so basically they had them use, you know, their, their cell phones, right. you know, try to, to dialogue match all of that, you know, and EQ it correctly. So it sounded cohesive. I mean, these are, these are great challenges. These are fun challenges. This is something that doesn't have to, you know, anything to do with music, you know? And so um, it all has a role to play though, because it all comes back. And, you know, like when Ronnie sends me his vocals, like I kind of know what I'm looking for, you know, like, mm-hmm. okay, boom. Like, 
everything sounds great. He sounds great. So then from, you know, the EQing and compressing standpoint, all right, like this, this is what needs to happen here because I went through that, you know, um, cleaning somebody's dialogue up, you know, that's, it's great that all, everything like, you know, in, in that form of if it's music or um, audio related, it somehow works its way back into mm -hmm. the situation. It always does. You know, you can always use it. Um, so, I, you know, I think there were certain things that, you know, kind of were like touchstones. I mean, I think Automata, like for the first time, was was something that, you know, we all spent time on our own really working in between. You know, for me, it was touring and, you know, come home from tour and spend a couple of weeks here and there, like working on things or while I was out on tour working on things. And um, there was no time limit on it. So then we could just like sit there and like work on it and add like little things. And that was really cool. Like when that, that, that came out, because I just feel like um, it was something that I kind of like wanted to do like with Dillinger and we sort of touched upon it and then kind of like went away from it. And, you know, like there were expectations and certain things that were kind of going down that, um, didn't to me like really didn't feel like it lended itself like artistically that we weren't able to fully like go all the way and indulge. And, um, and I, you know, there was a big part of me that really needed to do that. And that's like, you know, why, you know, we were, you know, doing automata felt so good doing that. Like, you know, we think we're all having, you know, our moments of discovery on certain right. things. And then, you know, that led to, you know, doing, doing more orchestral stuff. I mean, I spent a, a good majority of time like sitting there and just analyzing uh, a lot of classical scores and getting into that, you know, sort of thing. And cause that's what, you know, really ultimately at the end of the day, that stuff speaks to me like the mm -hmm. most, I feel, you know, like there's nothing quite like that. Nothing, you know, like, and, and I love jazz and I love all, you know, there's plenty of great, contemporary styles of music but again it's just to me there's nothing like listening to bach or that's that's just just absolutely bananas to me mm -hmm. at the end of the day and it's guys so beyond like prolific you know half the stuff is you know not even documented you know all the stuff he did with like all the shit that he wrote for like the choirs the boys choirs mm -hmm. and stuff like that it's that's bananas to me so um, I have to, you know, to be honest, I feel like every time you take on a project, whatever that is, and kind of able to meet the deadline, if it's that sort of thing, or, you know, um, even able, you know, thrown to the fire and never done it before and come out on the other side. Um, I'm, I'm really happy with it. You know, I'm proud of it, you know? Um, and I think, you know, I, I'm really, really proud of the return to earth stuff on, on a lot of levels, you know, and then from, from the, just the sheer challenge of, you know, trying to handle things from a sonic perspective, given what I've like, you know, kind of gone through and learned coming out on the other side of that and listening back to it, you know, I, I I'm proud of that. I'm definitely proud of that. I think that's, 
you know, that's the role like I, I kind of took on and, you know, I wanted to try and do that like as best as I could to do my job, like as best as I could, mm-hmm. you know? And so, yeah. And so like, I feel like it, it definitely, it accurately documents that, that moment in time of, you know, I think where we were and where I was and what I was, you know, what I knew up until that point, you know, and, and, and I think all of us, I mean, you know, you know, not trying to speak on behalf of Brett, but the same thing with Brett, like, you know, him like always constantly like working on his guitar tone and guitar sounds and, you know, trying to perfect that. And, um, you know, him getting new gear and trying that out and messing around with that and, you know, working on that. So, you know, yeah, it's, I, I think any project you coming out on the other side of that, I, I'm always proud of it. Always am, you know, uh, maybe at the time when we're going through, through it, I'll just be like, this is like the biggest pile of shit ever. Cause I'm just like really critical of it. But when I have some time away from it and come back to it, you know, um, I'm always proud of it. Always proud that we made another record without murdering Brett. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that's a whole other story. That's a whole other story. And Brett's great because, you know, he is another very critical, very honest voice, super honest. So like, if he's not feeling something, he'll just be like, oh, man, like, this really sucks. Oh, God, what is that? This is laughable, dude. Oh, God, You're like, this sucks, bro. Oh, man, like, you know, to the point of just like, dude, you got to shut up, like, you know, sometimes. But like, at the other, you know, in the other half of the, you know, the time, he's right. Like, you know, he's really right in like what he says. And, and I, I know we both appreciate that. Because he's another guy that can look at things from the out, outside perspective. And, you know, he can get down in it, but he can also pull himself out of it and just be like, yeah, it's not good enough. <laughs> so let's try and make it better. But towards the end, we were like, all right, dude, like, how many more years do you want to, like, do this? Like, let's just, this is, this sounds good. This is right. good. Yeah. We go anymore, like, dude. You want? He's not referring to how many years like, do you want to do the band. He means how many more years do you want to work I, on this record for? <laughs> yeah, you want to work on the record because if it was up to him, we'd go for like another five years. Like, dude, he'd have me like tweak all the snare drums till it sounded like uh, images and words, like Mike Portnoy's fucking <laughs> snare drum on that record. Mike Portnoy, not bash Mike Portnoy. It's just that you know, like. It just get it to the point where it's like so beyond like overproduced that it's just like, dude, you got to pull the plug. Let's stop. Stop it. But that's a trademark of, of this band. And even though Brett's bedside manner sometimes leaves a, a bit to be desired, I think Chris's point is well taken. And I think that applies to all of us. I think in a lot of ways, um, like I said earlier, when I deliver what I deliver to the band and it passes the Brett of any seal of approval, that means it's got to be at least pretty good because <laughs> they'll accept nothing less, you know? Um, yeah. And, and yeah. I think that's great. Like to have that bar for both of these guys to say, 
you surprised us, or this is awesome. And it gets me jazzed, um, not only to hear what Chris has done with, you know, my contributions to the record, but also to get a seal of approval from both of those guys, because I respect them immensely as musicians and they're both longtime friends. And I think that's a big factor in this band, even though we've been separated for long periods of time is uh, the camaraderie in whatever shape and form it exists um, helps kind of, you know, drive the car a little bit. Mm. Makes sense. Or the spaceship in this case. (laughs) (laughs) So, so what you're saying is it's a good thing that Brett never ended up working on Chinese democracy because they would have still been recording it. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Yep. We got somebody on that record from Ball Street Music. Uh, that's true. Shit, I inadvertently I didn't I didn't even think of that um, <laughs> when I brought it up. I, I just the 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 wanting to continuously work on something is what came up, but. Yeah. <laughs> um, so officially the big ideas is out now oblivion comes out in january what's the official date can we say that january is 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 optimistic uh anybody who knows anything about what's going on in the industry right now knows that if you want to make a vinyl record you've got to wait a little bit longer than you usually do we're not the only ones with this idea uh so we release big ideas with two of the songs from those sessions uh, as kind of like, um, you know, an appetizer before the main course. That's that on Bandcamp, uh, returntoearth.bandcamp.com to support us. Um, And then the vinyl record, a full record, I think nine songs, which, you know, you've heard already, Victor, Mm -hmm. uh, that'll be out. Realistically, we'll probably do the pre-sale in January. And then fans who purchase it could expect to receive it probably by March or April of 2022. Okay. And Bandcamp is the best place to keep up with the pre-sale or or anything else involved with the band? Baldfreak.com and, yeah, Return to Earth Bandcamp. That's kind of – I'm a supporter of Bandcamp. Bandcamp's becoming kind of like not a big secret to the music industry anymore and – Usually I find when that happens, that kind of allows some potentially bad actors to get involved when it comes to, you know, the sphere of influence. I don't know if, I don't know if Bandcamp's been compromised yet, but Mm -hmm. I like the platform. Um, I like that it's, you know, musicians for musicians. Right. And it's user-friendly. I use it. I'm on there weekly as a fan. And I think that's, as good a place as any for us to kind of work with a third party company who's going to allow us to kind of promote a vinyl record at this point. Right. Well, I have been doing purchases on Bandcamp Friday. Uh, so, I mean, at least the concept I think is great to make sure that the bands get all the money that, uh, that go into the purchase. Yeah. What a concept bands making money. Yeah. So, <laughs> That's why I've, I'm I'm waiting till I think it's November 5th for the next uh, Bandcamp Friday. So hopefully they'll still yeah. have going next year to to help you guys out with the presale. Yeah, it's becoming more of a you know it's becoming more of a kind of thing that drives 
the um, the algorithm for them. And uh, we'll release the vinyl record through our website as well. I'm still trying to figure out the best way to do that for e-commerce. I haven't, you know, put a physical release for this out for this band out in you know 11 years. And Metal Blade did a lot of the work the last time around, so it's almost kind of like starting from scratch in a lot of ways. But you know, it's not rocket science. <laughs> You're not operating in anyone's heart, right? Uh, no, definitely not. Definitely <laughs> not. If uh, people want to keep up with either one of you guys, where should they go? If you want to keep up with Chris, you got to come in and sit on these interviews. Otherwise, oh yeah, that's it. I, I have I have no social media. Don't want anything okay. to do with it. Off grid, get me off world. So, I mean, just a little, you know, a truth about this project and, and this release is that Chris has, you know, needed a little bit of persuading to contribute um, at the level that, but that's kind of like a hallmark of this band since the very beginning. And, and that's fine. I mean, uh, whatever we can get at, whatever we can get out of the Chris Penny vehicle, we're going to, we're going to take it. But um, if you are interested in learning more about this band, uh, at Bald Freak Music, that's the record label slash my social handle. I'm not a social media fan as well, but it is what it is. And somebody's got to be, uh, you know, throwing up flares for this project. And I'm happy to do it. So um, baldfreak.com is really the hub for everything. And you can follow us everywhere, Spotify, SoundCloud, Facebook, whatever the kids are into nowadays. We don't have a TikTok uh or Snapchat. I think we're uh, we're decidedly Gen X, so we're we're sticking to the we're sticking to the old standards. <laughs> so so that means that when I tagged you on TikTok, it means you will never see the video that I posted. I, I have no idea that you did that. Thank you for doing that. If that's what you did, are you on TikTok? Yeah. Got to try to cast the largest net as possible, my friend. Guys, don't forget <laughs> it's now called Meta, not Facebook. Right. Get it right. And TikTok Meta. is called Kickcock. Meta. Come on, yeah, but Meta. I don't know if they're changing the because name of Facebook. The <laughs> What's that? Become the internet. Transhumanism. I can't wait, dude. Just <laughs> chop off half of my body and turn me into a cyborg. I'm ready. Let's do it. That's the next record. Arnold, let's do it. There you go. Concept for the next one. <laughs> if there is a next one. I'm being up this one. Let's see if this one makes it out into the masses. <laughs> it's the same answer for um for selling the new album as reissuing the old albums. Or or I should say, looking into the future and looking into the past. You gave the same answer. It's it's listen. It's tough when you don't have control of your own destiny, um, and anything you do beyond making the music, once you know, once you hit stop, and Chris delivers you those you know beautifully mixed and mastered audio files, it's really out of your hands. Outside of just you know putting it out there properly and doing your due diligence. I mean, right now there's nine 
what we think are pretty cool Return to Earth songs that are a record plant in Taiwan, how it's going to sound when it gets back to us and then it gets to the masses in general, I'm, I don't take anything for granted. What, you know, Chris is going to get a test pressing hopefully in the next month or so. Mm-hmm. Hopefully he's going to say, yeah, man, this sounds good. Because otherwise, um, you know, that, that might change our, our, our release date. But we remain, as always, uh, when relying on the industry at large, cautiously optimistic right cool well i want to thank you guys for spending all this time with me tonight uh almost two hours here yeah what's the record what's that what's the record yeah i will tell you that when i spoke to bumblefoot i spoke to him for three and a half hours that sounds about right (laughs) but get some bad acid flashbacks from that (laughs) (laughs) there was time it's almost two o'clock right yeah 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 it's it's almost in the morning yeah um friday nights that's why i do the show on friday nights because if not during the week it would be impossible let's try to break the record yeah we got another two out we got another two hours and 40 minutes to go the record is gene (laughs) gene hoagland was five and a half hours oh my all right never mind what, what can anyone talk about for that long? Uh, Gene Hoagland, I sent him, I was doing a uh, classic album series where I had him. And I think you actually commented on some of these, Ron, way back when. Um, he didn't, he wanted to uh, record his, um, his responses. So he Got took it. his time. There was 32 albums that I listed. The original plan was to release uh, an album a month throughout three years. And um, and he answered every single one of them. I said, "I'll just pick a few. No, I'll talk about all of them." But, uh, I, I get that. I, fortunately, we're not going to do that. <laughs> but it was cool because he he there were a lot of cool albums that he talked about and different things from you know his perspective. And I mean, just his story on meeting um, a seventeen-year-old James Hetfield before anyone knew who the hell he was was just worth the, the entire thing. So it was awesome. All right. Well, I'll settle for like 14th place or whatever. Uh, whatever two, this hour and 57 minutes is accomplished. Two, two hours is, is uh, more than what most people do. I usually, you know, people within an hour, hour and a half at the most usually want to tap out. So it's, you know, I do want to thank you guys for, um, for Thanks being for here for two hours. And and obviously the conversation was good enough to continue for two hours. So our pleasure. Always always a pleasure to talk to you. And hopefully the next time it won't be uh, uh nine years nine years uh, removed from the last time. Well, anytime that you guys want to come back on and talk about anything music related, you're more than welcome to do so. All right, Thanks. we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you. All right, guys. Thanks for your time. Have a good night. All right, Victor, have a good one. All right. See you, Chris. See you. See you later. Bye. <laughs> there you guys go. I want to thank everyone who was in the chat uh, throughout this. Rob Rowe and Jeremy. Um, things just were kind of going and I couldn't get to uh, some of the questions. But um, I apologize for that. But uh, nonetheless, it was a very fun discussion with uh, both Ron and Chris. Uh, This will be posted in a podcast format next week. 
if anyone is listening to the podcast or watching the replay up on YouTube, just remember that every Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, uh, 3 p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. in the UK, and midnight for those in Europe. Um, and actually, we just found out a few weeks ago that 8 a.m. in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, every Friday is where the Signals from Mars live stream takes place. Uh, we are tentatively scheduling a Patreon uh, band discussion. We're trying to figure out what band we will be talking about. If you don't know what I'm referring to, we did chats on Iron Maiden, uh, Judas Priest, and Motley Crue in the past. We have a few bands that we're um, uh, mentioning currently. We've fixed the date of November 26th, which is the Friday after Thanksgiving which is when we will record the episode. And uh, if you want to be a part of that, obviously you can chime in in the chat while it's live. But if you want to be somebody who participates and actually discusses the band live, uh, you can do so by becoming a Patreon, by becoming a patron, excuse me. It's 2 a.m. folks, excuse me. <laughs> by becoming a patron for as little as two bucks a month, you can... Be part of the uh, patron band discussions that happen every two months. You get the album of the week unboxing. You get my Patreon excuse exclusive Victor M. Ruiz podcast, uh, where I discuss all types of hard rock and metal news and behind the scenes stuff that's going on uh, with the podcast and everything else that's going on um, with streaming and so on and so forth. In any event, thank you for spending your time with me tonight, whether you're here live or whether it's in playback, I appreciate it. And we will see you next time right here on the signals from Mars live stream brought to you by the Mars attacks podcast. Remember the interview with Gary Shea will be released on Monday. So if you missed it, that's your chance to see, to see it and hear it in any event. See you folks. Thank you for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show. 